welcome to part one of episode six of the Gray Matter Radio Hour. I'm your not-so-humble host, Mystery, and my co-host, Zen Mansley, is on the other coast, busily working on a top-secret project. However, Zen will hopefully be popping into the show at some point to give us an update on, on his, his mysterious, mysterious project. But while I'm thinking of it, I want to give a quick shout-out to our listeners overseas in Ireland and France, and also our neighbors to the north listening in Canada. I apologize to our French-speaking listeners. My French ends at botching the lyrics to Frère Jacques. But still, everyone, please remember to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with all of your craziest and most creative friends. Yes. There he is! <laughs> <laughs> so, your, your uh, session went pretty well, you think? Well, yeah, we still have to film uh, Dracula. Um, not the Dracula I did for the play thing that I, that was a week ago, but this Dracula, which is a, another, it's too hard to explain. It's part of the intros. Okay. I changed um, character four times during the intros, so. Wow. Anything you want to say about it for the? Well, for the no, uh, you, know, you know how I do voice acting, but I like doing narration too. There's this one uh, classic Edgar Allan Poe story called The Sphinx, that takes place during a pandemic. So um, I did a recording of it. You want to hear it? Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wait, uh, is it something we can put on at the end of the show? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Put we'll put it on the, on, the, on the jukebox, guys. So after the show, okay. hang out. And you'll get a special treat from Zen's magical mystery box. Voice box. <laughs> Voice box, exactly. When you hear the scary story at the end of the show, that's me. Okay. okay. Got that, everybody? Yeah. It wasn't Edgar Allan Poe himself, it's, but it's very close. <laughs> right. <laughs> Eventually, we'll put uh, the artwork that uh, Zen did up on our website uh, once we get the website Can running. I send that to you yet? Yeah. It's oh, no, right. On the website, right. Okay. Yeah, we need a visual guide to the show. Yeah. Our favorite crop circle pictures. and Right. No, we're working on it, rads, folks. Diagrams of flugel rads and, um, yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, I, I spoke to a web guy uh, yesterday, so we're going to hopefully hook up something. He'll get something going fairly soon. Web guy. That, that's a new superhero? Web guy. Yeah. <laughs> the continuing adventures of web, web guy. guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Covered in spider webs. <laughs> He's the sticky one. Right. <laughs> so uh, what else the you got? The superhero that can't unstick himself. <laughs> <laughs> he just keeps knocking into things. He's right. trying to get the spider webs it, off of himself. It, it, it cursing. <laughs> He's the guy who's always underneath Spider-Man when Spider-Man's like go, swoon, swinging from buildings. Right. Damn it. That's how it that started. That shit again? <laughs> God damn that spider shit again on my head. <laughs> Radio the guy who's the, the guy who's the most pissed off at Spider-Man. Radioactive spider webs. That's how it that's how it all started. Right. <laughs> it became kind of a, a built-in mechanism where he, you know, he just sheds these spider webs it's like sweating. He just he just ends up covered in spider webs constantly cursing and running into things, knocking shit over. That's how he interferes with villains. He'll shake their hand and they're just they're they're bound. Ew. <laughs> They're suddenly bound. What did you put on me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even a knuckle bump will do it. <laughs> or an elbow bump, you know. Like, what the fuck? What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> What's that shit? Every villain loses his character. It's like, yes, do not touch me. I say, do not die. Do not touch me. <laughs> what now? What did you do on my nice villain suit? Look what you did! Look what you did! <laughs> I just got this out of the cleaners. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, you need to get back. Sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. How much more you got tonight? We're either gonna do Dracula tonight or not. Not. But I, I just got the lenses out, so maybe my eyes need a break. I would say so, man. Yeah. Uh, Maybe we'll do it tomorrow afternoon. 
this means Roy is, well, he, Roy's already staying over because it's late. Tomorrow will be his third day here. All right, well, we're, we're in, it, in anticipation of seeing this, this show when it's all done. Okay. So yeah. uh, we'll put a plug in. Oh, yeah, the thing, the video we're taping is, is pretty funny. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Helen so, liked the script I finally came up with, so yeah. <clears throat> so folks, we'll, uh, we'll get back prior to, uh, to this so we can we'll at least have a link to Zinn's Halloween production. Oh, the Halloween thing? Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm hosting late night. It's a, sort of like a late night uh, performances um, that are going to be aired from Theater for the New City. And uh, their website is theaterforthenewcity.net. And that's Halloween night. I'm the host. So um, sometimes we're going to talk about uh, these segments that we're filming as different characters. And then uh, Roy is editing them together. As we speak. As we, yes, it's literally happening right now. Right, he's right behind <laughs> you, right? <laughs> okay. All right, man. Well, thanks for, the, uh, thanks for dropping in and just letting us know what's going on and okay. putting in the plug. So uh, uh, we'll talk to you later. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Zinn's talents and services are high in demand around this time of year, but luckily we have the following unaired segments from previous shows, so he can thankfully still be with us virtually speaking, that is. When, when we were moving, we um, had to drop off uh, a rental truck at this gas station around midnight that okay. was also like a rental place. Okay. And the, in, the inside of this place, like whatever cleaner they were using <laughs> started to give me a seizure and make me want to throw up after about 30 seconds. No. <laughs> so I was like, I got to go back outside. <laughs> Whoa, what is it? I don't know, but how do they sell this cleaning product? <laughs> this industrial strength floor cleaner, whatever it was, so awful. Wow. What's the pitch for this product? <laughs> I have get some... people to leave your building as fast as possible. <laughs> so I need, I, I need a little break. I saw what looked like a worm in my water. So now I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Waiter, there's a worm in my water. <laughs> okay, folks, well, we'll take a short break and Gray Matter Radio Hour will be right back after this word from our sponsor. New from Seizure Sense. Cleaning products so toxic, you'll have a guaranteed seizure with every use. Fall to your knees and vomit to the delightful combined scent of toxic mold and vomit. Did I mention vomit? Because that's what you'll be doing every time you mop the floor with new, improved Seizure Sense. And we're back talking about toxic household products. I was using a spray disinfectant which was questionably designed for household use but seemed a bit too close to the industrial side. And, and you can tell because the labels are really bad on them, you know? They're not, they're not specifically designed for grocery store retail sales. They're, they're kind of halfway between being a generic product. But anyway, I used, I, I used this spray disinfectant and every time I did, I got, got my lungs just incredibly uh, fucked up and I started thinking I was getting COVID because like here I am trying to be clean wow. about everything and I was just getting sicker and sicker thinking, oh my God, I'm going to go to the hospital any minute now. So <clears throat> I, I, um, I just quit using it and, and every time I realize when I use it, I get sick again. So I'm like, oh shit, it's this damn spray <gasps> shit. You know, I've, I've thought for years we were sold a bill of goods with all these cleaning products right? Um, that claim to be safe. I mean, even claiming them to be safe is kind of a recent thing, you know, <laughs> but you were my whole childhood. I mean, my mom always used like crazy toxic stuff. She'd spray oven cleaner in and still have her head in the oven as she keeps spraying oven cleaner. Oh yeah, that's real good. And I, I remember walking into the kitchen and she's got her head in the oven while spraying cleaner. Like, mom, get out of the room. What do you mean get out of the room? Get out of the oven. <laughs> she's like, oh, it's safe. It's like, no, there's no way that's safe. That's everyone in from the 50s thought every product was safe. They were I smoking. can't be within 10 feet of the oven cleaner. 
Well, they, they were breathing it in. <laughs> She's got her head in the up, literally. Yeah. But I mean, those people, that generation smoked continually and they thought- tiny, her arms were tiny. Oh, uh, that's sad. Well, her arms can't reach back there, so yeah. Oh, but okay. I'm sure that messed with her health. <clears throat> Lysol, you know, we were told to just spray Lysol all over. Yeah, yeah, this stuff is like industrial Lysol. I mean, I don't want to get into mentioning individual products, but almost everything I think was more toxic than they were let on. She used hairspray like crazy. She's, she's basically coating her hair with a little thin layer of plastic. <laughs> That's why they call them helmet heads. <laughs> did that while I was in the bathroom once and I'm like, don't do that in here with me in here. I can't breathe that in. <laughs> solvents have gotten me before. Just mixing solvents, being in confined space with like a garage or something. Solvents. Yeah, yeah. Whew. That's what I don't get. That's why I'm not. Remember a, the resin, the, the, the resonator, resonator? Yeah, from, yeah. from beyond. Right. Um, so the top of that was a, a clear lucite uh, ball, plexiglass ball. It was about uh, maybe two feet wide. I thought you molded and it. I had sloshed resin inside of it. Oh, so that's why they called it the resonator. <laughs> <laughs> So I mixed resin and purple coloring, so it was the translucent, transparent purple slosh inside of it, and I did mm -hmm. maybe ten passes with that. And so Whoa. basically, I'm trying oh, to get a get an interesting pattern in it. In it, so I'm holding it, and the the air hole would be uh, on the bottom when I'm done is on now upwards, you know. Right. <clears throat> so, yeah, I got a lot of fumes then, and I was like, I'm almost passing out sometimes from it Oof. it's pretty amazing that you didn't pass out because i can imagine you holding it, <clears throat> it it's a big globe so it would be practically against your chest as you're sloshing the fluid around right under your face and uh, yeah you know, there's no way to get away from it if you tilt it any other way it'll slosh out i was on a panel at a convention once on stage uh -huh. for from beyond um, I think it was at the Shrine Auditorium, maybe. Uh -huh. So I brought, this was um, right when the movie was coming out. So they screened a trailer and um, I brought the resonator there and set it up. And um, so I'm on stage with the panel and somebody's asked them, don't you guys have nightmares? <laughs> you special effects guys will make the scary movies. Don't you have, doesn't it give you nightmares? And I said, well, uh, let me t let me handle this one. It's like what we have nightmares about the toxic products we use. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have nightmares about what we're making. Oh, that's wow. our artwork. <clears throat> we don't have pro uh, nightmares about oh this creature that I just made because it came already came out of your imagination. But but it's the, the the toxic chemicals that we have to use. That's what scares us. Right. Oh, in wow. the field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. We're scared of reality. <laughs> right. We're not scared of artificial creatures that might lurk in the night. We are scared of what's actually happening. Right. <laughs> that you, that we're reality. not. Make that being a nice T-shirt. Fear reality. Reality. You're soaking in it. You want to see my roots? <laughs> <laughs> well. I don't remember. I remember you telling me about somebody filming Reagan and you'd seen this outtake where they, he finished talking and he just collapsed in a pile. Like he, you know, they cut the camera. Yeah, after the camera cut and then he just dropped. Not on the ground, but his like whole a demeanor just went. Yeah. And then Nancy, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like a puppet with the strings cut. And yeah. Nancy took him by the hand and let him out as his face sort of hung there. Oh my God. His, you know, nodding back and forth, you know. Where's this plug? Plug him in, he's running out of energy. <laughs> he's outside, we need an extension cord. <laughs> uh, uh, you were mentioned the uh, Election Integrity Project, is that what it's oh called? Oh God, yeah. I was talking to you uh, 
yesterday, whenever that was. And um, I didn't get a chance to. I watched the Samantha B, but I didn't watch the new one you sent me. Right. So the one on Samantha B, September second, I think it aired. So the the last segment of the show was about the Transition Integrity Project, and it was subtitled "Preventing a Disputed Presidential Election and Transition." Uh huh. And so they went through, they had uh, 70 high-ranking election officials, and they ran some simulations. So they tried a big Biden win, narrow Biden win, um, unclear on election night. Uh, Trump loses popular vote, but wins electoral college. The only scenario that didn't create chaos was the big Biden win. Right. But even then, he could um, just refuse to accept it. Yeah, they said Biden has the so they, has the something and Trump has the seventh airborne or something. I mean, like they're comparing what Biden can do about it to what Trump can do about it. Basically, Trump can just call in the military if he doesn't want to go, you know. Right. So the goal of this exercise was to shock people into realizing there's no guarantee that everything's going to be fine. In fact, it's there's almost a guarantee that it's not going to be fine. That's what they found out. Right. And Trump's teeing us up for that. He's teed it up already. We're ready for it. Absolutely. Even even starting right off the bat with fake news. News. Right. Even during this campaign. It's all been leading up to this. It's been in the works from since day, day one. one. Yeah. From day one. Yeah. <laughs> so he's had like four years to plan this out. Right. And he's been installing. So he's got, exactly. He's installed, um, he's appointed more judges than any president in history, all loyalists to him. Right. And he's got him placed in, in all over the country. Right. Anywhere where there might be a close race in a state. So these guys are going to be contesting the election results individually. In right. States, you know? Right. I don't think Biden has that. <laughs> no. I mean, they wouldn't even give Obama a, a Supreme Court selection. They just said, nope, sorry, we're not going to give it to you. Get out of here. We're going to have put our own guys in. Since when is that legal? And then the, the YouTube I sent you today was called The Terrifying Election Scenario That Could Rip America Apart. And they talk about the red mirage. And that is when, uh, because they're thinking the mail-in ballots are going to take longer to count, on the election night, it could look like Trump has won because his people are going to go to the ballots. And Biden supporters are, are far more likely to mail in their votes. So election night, it's going to look like Trump won is what they're it's called the red mirage. Right. Uh huh. And we know how networks, the media is not going to help because no. networks want to be the first ones to, to say, oh, Trump won. Yeah, they or want the whoever scoop. it looks like right off the bat. They want the scoop. They're, yeah. they're competing with themselves. Right. And so if it looks like that, and then as they keep counting ballots, like the, the second day and the third day, Trump's going to be saying, oh, this is a fraud. Now they're trying to take it away from me. Right. He's already been saying that. I just yeah. saw him today say, the only way we're going to lose is if there's the fraud. He's yeah. already saying that. Yeah. So his believers are going to believe that he won. And then as it starts to be taken from him, as they finish counting the, the mail-in ballots, which he's going to block, he already has plans to stop to block the, the counting after a few days. Uh-huh. <sighs> well, so what's meant- going to happen? His, his supporters will take to the streets with their guns. Uh-huh. <laughs> a friend of mine who's, who, who says he's well-connected, and he says, George, my friend George. George is my friend. I sound like I'm Lenny from uh, Mice and Men. George is my friend. Uh-huh. And George says civil war. George says that his, his military friends are predicting there's going to be a brief civil war started election night. Did you say brief? Hopefully, yeah. Maybe, you know, a couple of months. Um, I don't know who could possibly predict how brief it will be because you don't know what's going to happen. I can, I can pretty much predict it will occur, but as far as predicting yeah. a, a length of time that it's going to, I, I could see it getting as bad as the first Civil War. I, I just, I tried to text you a, a little a CW2, tried to send to you instead of WW2. <laughs> I was just trying to say before you even mentioned Civil War, I was like, it's CW2. Oh, right. Copyright that now. <laughs> Copyright it. Yeah, let's make some money yeah. off this sucker. Copyright your term. Go Bezos on everybody. Everybody will be using it. Yeah. 
how do you make money off everyone else's misery? Hmm. That's the, that's the Bezos method. Bezos or Bezos? I say Bezos, Bezos, okay. Bozos. I don't know. I don't care. They say Bezos. What is, what is it really? Bezos? It's Bezos. Okay. Bezos and Spazos. Bezos. <laughs> From the Spanish vosotros, meaning the bee. And there you go. Bezos. We're back where we started. The thing that caught me on the Samantha B program that was intended to catch me was when they show every scenario and after each one, they just put a big thing on the screen goes chaos. This will chaos. end in chaos. And then yeah. they mention yeah. the next scenario and they go, and it will end in chaos. And then, you know, it's like Trump's right. whole, whole thing <laughs> to create chaos so that in the meantime, he can do whatever he wants and solidify his position while everybody else is scrambling around trying to figure out, you know, it's like kicking an anthill, yeah, there's, you know, he's going to have, he's going to start battles on so many different fronts. Right. That right. The Democrats heads will be spinning. They won't know what direction to turn in. Biden needs a lawyer in every, every state in place already. Yeah. There's not a lot of energy there, I'm afraid. So, uh, and because there's no energy, there's no funding. I mean, they're asking for, for donations and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, do you know what state the country's in? The only people with, with donations are your corporate yeah. donors. Talk to them. You know, that's right. who got you elected. That's who got you the nomination. Go talk to them. Don't ask you, these people that now don't have jobs and are, you know, working at home or stuck in their homes and no prospects, no cash, no payments coming in from the government anymore. Hey, 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 uh, artist guy living in the woods. You got any money for us? We screwed you out of Bernie Sanders, but... <clears throat> Hey, you there, artist in the woods. Got any money? Smoke <laughs> him with a stick, would you? See if he's got any money. Raffle him. Oh, there's old Uncle Joe. Oh, he's moving kind of slow. Poke him <laughs> with a stick. See if he's got any money. <laughs> How about those fires in in San Francisco? Did you ever? Did you see the sky? No. I somebody sent me uh, photos of what it looks like during the daytime. This is midday. It looks, it almost looks like night, almost looks like nighttime. It's so, there's so much smoke. The, the sky is, is completely orange. Like it's not just the sky. There's right. so much smoke. You can almost not see out the windows. It's, it's orange outside. This is, it looks like a horrific scene from Halloween where they're trying to make things look scary or apocalyptic. That orange has traveled across the country. I think I saw something on the local news that with the orange haze that had like made it to Jersey. And then, and then I was, and I saw that, I was like, wow, that's from the fires. And then they said something about the fires. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fires. Well, it's traveled. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, normally like a great volcano or, or eruption or Krakatoa or something like that. Yeah, norm, the photo I got is normally a view of the San Francisco Bay, San Francisco on the other side of the bay, the Golden Gate Bridge, Alcatraz, you could see forever. You can't even see to the water line. You, there's no bay, there's no, you can barely see wow. that there are houses next door. You know, it's orange haze, a completely bright orange haze. Um, the person that sent it to me said it looks like dusk here and it's it's the mid you know it's it's noon <clears throat> it looks like the sun has just set and it's you can't tell where the sun is it's just this glow but it's like no don't worry about it no such thing as global warming do you believe in pollution is that something you might be able to believe in cuz you can see pollution um it seems it seems like no it seems like yeah, they it, don't. It doesn't exist. <laughs> nope. Nope. Don't see a thing. Unicorns farting rainbows. Speaking of that denial, I know someone who believes that global warming isn't true because people, humans are too small to affect the earth. Uh, she said, well, you realize how small wow. people, people are compared to the earth? We, there's no way we could affect the earth. It's not, it's not from our butts. It's not <laughs> that our farts are doing it. <laughs> right. Oh, I see what you're saying. Factories yeah. aren't small. Right. 
Right. Have you seen our factories? They're a little yeah. bigger. Right. Yeah, the pl smoke plumes that are coming out of those factories are not small. Right. Yeah. The toxic sludge that's pouring out of them every day is not small. Have you seen Koyanis Katsi? <laughs> you know, I didn't even think of that analogy, but it's, I mean that that relationship because I yeah. I did I stopped and she almost stopped me from saying anything more except I what I did go on to say was I said yeah I said same goes with viruses I said people think viruses are hurting humans I said but do you know how small a virus is compared to a human there's right. no way <laughs> I said there's no way a virus can affect a human being they're so small you can't even see them with a microscope and yet here we are all scared of the flu and the colds there's no such thing there's no such, and everybody at the table was just looking at me like, are you nuts? But I was saying the same thing. Basically, right. something small can't affect uh -huh. something bigger. So it's like, that logic doesn't seem, if you believe in viruses, which I think you should and probably do, you've probably been sick yourself maybe even one or two times in your lifetime. Um, if you believe your doctor, your family doctor that told you you had a virus or a cold, do you realize, did you tell them they don't know what they're talking about and that you feel fine, that there's nothing wrong, even though, you know, there's snot coming out of your nose and you can barely stand up? Uh, I, I just don't understand people that, that can just pick and choose right. that kind of logic, you know? <laughs> well, that's logical, but this isn't. Did you continue explaining yourself at the dinner table? No, everyone, everyone was so aghast. I, I got that look for everything went quiet. Everyone's just looking at me like, oh my God, he's lost his mind. Because I was very convincing about it. I was like, oh yeah, this is ridiculous. I so jumped, they still think you're nuts then? I jumped on her bandwagon and said, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, and I just carried it further. And that's how you need to talk to Republicans is you, you take their side and you extrapolate it to the point where it shows them the ridiculousness and they'll either shut up, go silent, or they'll, they'll argue with you and maybe or maybe not realize they're, they're arguing against their own point. But it does turn them around to where they're looking at what they said might be total bullshit as well. So I always do that because you can't talk to them. You can't, you can't argue with them. So take their point of view and take it to the nth degree go way out on a limb with it and make the most absurd point with their logic that they have to argue against their own logic. <laughs> that to me is the most fun. Carry a large mirror with you and say, this is like what you're saying. And then show them the mirror. <laughs> you need a visual aid to, to break through. Maybe so, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the fires I thought was worth mentioning. Reminded me of how the pollution used to look in L.A. when I if first you, moved there, and then it got better. But it well, looked like Mars often. Yeah, but if you see these pictures in particular, it's 10, 30, 50 yes. times worse. It's, yeah, yeah. You can't yeah. see anything. You can hardly see your neighbor's house. Right. And I remember L.A. used to be, yeah, it was pretty bad. And for Trump to reverse those EPA uh, regulations where, you know, California, they were going to, he was going to what, sue California for having uh, uh, smog regulations on cars, trying to get rid of the smog regulations. Like, I, he's not going to allow us to protect our air. I mean, it, his, his base, he'll be holding a rally and he'll be talking about getting rid of regulations and everybody cheers. Right. What are they cheering for? <laughs> they're, they're cheering for their own poisoning, basically is what that means. Right. <clears throat> if you're saying I'm, I'm gonna cut regulations, it means that I'm gonna allow corporations to spew more poison out, et cetera, et cetera. Pollute the water, pollute the air. It's like, why would anybody cheer for deregulation? A working class person doesn't make any yeah. sense. Uh, yeah. If you're a corporatist. That's what I'm, what I'm talking about. Yeah, his base at the rallies, the working class there. Yeah, I don't know if it was you or where I saw this, but it was basically making the point that the reason his base is so loyal to him 
is because Trump hates the same people that they hate. They don't care what Trump does as long as he hates the same people that they hate. And they hate liberals. They hate the left wing. They hate Democrats. They just hate them because they're trained to hate them like a trained right. attack, like an yeah. attack dog. Yeah. Fox yeah. News has trained all of those people to hate. And they'll, that's all they do. And they'll chew off their own arm to spite a Democrat. They don't care how much it hurts them. They don't care if it's the end of the world. They're going to be screaming, yeah, all the way down the freaking ladder as they, you know, as, as the earth burns. They don't care. And they, just as long as they get, get over on those damn liberals that they've been trained to hate. And just today, I stumbled across what I feel may be the biggest difference between liberals and conservatives. Both liberals and conservatives are fighting for their rights. But while liberals are fighting for the rights that protect other people and the planet, it seems that conservatives are continually fighting for what they believe is their right to actually cause harm to people and the planet. And I don't see that as a right. I see that as a wrong. Well, folks, that's it for part one of this episode. Stay tuned after the show for the Grey Matter Jukebox featuring Zen Mansley's reading of the Edgar Allan Poe classic, The Sphinx, followed by the song Center of Gravity from the album Supermassive by indie artist Bob Familiar. Then don't stray too far because we may be crazy, but we may just be the lunatics you're looking for. Turn out the lights. Good night, everybody. The Sphinx by Edgar Allan Poe During the dread reign of cholera in New York, I had accepted the invitation of a relative to spend a fortnight with him in the retirement of his cottage or nay on the banks of the Hudson. We had here around us all the ordinary means of summer amusement and what with rambling in the woods, sketching, boating, fishing, bathing, music, and books, we should have passed the time pleasantly enough. But for the fearful intelligence which reached us every morning from the populous city, not a day elapsed which did not bring us news of the decease of some acquaintance. Then, as the fatality increased, we learned to expect daily the loss of some friend. At length, we trembled at the approach of every messenger. The very air from the south seemed to us redolent with death. That palsying thought, indeed, took entire possession of my soul. I could neither speak, think, nor dream of anything else. My host was of a less excitable temperament, and although greatly depressed in spirits, exerted himself to sustain my own. His richly philosophical intellect was not at any time affected by unrealities. To the substance of terror, he was sufficiently alive, but of its shadows he had no apprehension. His endeavors to arouse me from the condition of abnormal gloom into which I had fallen 
were frustrated in great measure by certain volumes which I had found in his library. These were of a character to force into germination whatever seeds of hereditary superstition lay latent in my bosom. I had been reading these books without his knowledge, and thus he was often at a loss to account for the forcible impressions which had been made upon my fancy. A favorite topic with me was the popular belief in omens, a belief which, at this one epoch of my life, I was almost seriously disposed to defend. On this subject, we had long and animated discussions, he maintaining the utter groundlessness of faith in such matters, I contending that a popular sentiment arising with absolute spontaneity, that is to say, without apparent traces of suggestion, had in itself the unmistakable elements of truth and was entitled to much respect. The fact is that soon after my arrival at the cottage, there had occurred to myself an incident so entirely inexplicable and which had in it so much of the portentous character that I might well have been excused for regarding it as an omen. It appalled and at the same time so confounded and bewildered me that many days elapsed before I could make up my mind to communicate the circumstance to my friend. Near the close of an exceedingly warm day, I was sitting, book in hand, at an open window, commanding, through a long vista of the riverbanks, a view of a distant hill, the face of which nearest my position had been denuded by what is termed a landslide, of the principal portion of its trees. My thoughts had been long wandering from the volume before me to the gloom and desolation of the neighboring city. Uplifting my eyes from the page, they fell upon the naked face of the hill and upon an object, upon some living monster of hideous conformation, which very rapidly made its way from the summit to the bottom, disappearing finally in the dense forest below. As this creature first came in sight, I doubted my own sanity, or at least the evidence of my own eyes, and many minutes passed before I succeeded in convincing myself that I was neither mad nor in a dream. Yet when I described the monster, which I distinctly saw and calmly surveyed through the whole period of its progress, my readers, I fear, will feel more difficulty in being convinced of these points than even I did myself. Estimating the size of the creature by comparison with the diameter of the large trees near which it passed, the few giants of the forest which had escaped the fury of the landslide, I concluded it to be far larger than any ship of the line in existence. I say ship of the line because the shape of the monster suggested the idea the hull of one of our 74s might convey a very tolerable conception of the general outline. The mouth of the animal was situated at the extremity of a proboscis some 60 or 70 feet in length and about as thick as the body of an ordinary elephant. Near the root of this trunk was an immense quantity of black, shaggy hair, more than could have been supplied by the coats of a score of buffaloes. And projecting from this hair, downwardly and laterally, sprang two gleaming tusks, not unlike those of the wild boar, but of infinitely greater dimension. Extending forward, parallel with the proboscis, and on each side of it was a gigantic staff, thirty or forty feet in length, formed seemingly of pure crystal, and in shape a perfect prism. It reflected in the most gorgeous manner the rays of the declining sun. The trunk was fashioned like a wedge, with the apex to the earth. From it, 
there was outspread two pairs of wings, each wing nearly 100 yards in length, one pair being placed above the other, and all thickly covered with metal scales, each scale apparently some 10 or 12 feet in diameter. I observed that the upper and lower tiers of wings were connected by a strong chain, but the chief peculiarity of this horrible thing was the representation of a death's head, which covered nearly the whole surface of its breast, and which was as accurately traced in glaring white upon the dark ground of the body as if it had been there carefully designed by an artist. While I regarded this terrific animal, and more especially the appearance on its breast, with a feeling of horror and awe, with a sentiment of forthcoming evil, which I found it impossible to quell by any effort of the reason, I perceived the huge jaws at the extremity of the proboscis suddenly expand themselves, and from them there proceeded a sound so loud and so expressive of woe that it struck upon my nerves like a knell, and as the monster disappeared at the foot of the hill, I fell at once, fainting to the floor. Upon recovering, my first impulse, of course, was to inform my friend of what I had seen and heard, and I can scarcely explain what feeling of repugnance it was which, in the end, operated to prevent me. At length, one evening, some three or four days after the occurrence, we were sitting together in the room in which I had seen the apparition, I occupying the same seat at the same window, and he lounging on a sofa near at hand. The association of the place and time impelled me to give him an account of the phenomenon. He heard me to the end, at first laughed heartily, and then lapsed into an excessively grave demeanor as if my insanity was the thing beyond suspicion. At this instant, I again had a distinct view of the monster, to which, with a shout of absolute horror, I now directed his attention. He looked eagerly, but maintained that he saw nothing, although I designated minutely the course of the creature as it made its way down the naked face of the hill. I was now immeasurably alarmed, for I considered the vision either as an omen of my death, or worse, as the forerunner of an attack of mania. I threw myself passionately back in my chair and for some moments buried my face in my hands. When I uncovered my eyes, the apparition was no longer visible. My host, however, had in some degree resumed the calmness of his demeanor and questioned me very rigorously in respect of the confirmation of the visionary creature. When I had fully satisfied him on this head, he sighed deeply as if relieved of some intolerable burden and went on to talk with what I thought a cruel calmness of various points of speculative philosophy, which had heretofore formed subject of discussion between us, I remember his insisting very especially, among other things, upon the idea that the principal source of error in all human investigations lay in the liability of the understanding to underrate or to overvalue the importance of an object through mere misadmeasurement of its propinquity. To estimate properly, for example, he said, the influence to be exercised on mankind at large by the thorough diffusion of democracy, the distance of the epoch at which such diffusion may possibly be accomplished should not fail to form an item in the estimate. Yet can you tell me one writer on the subject of government who has ever thought this particular branch of the subject worthy of discussion at all? He here paused for a moment, stepped to a bookcase, and brought forth one of the ordinary synopsis of natural history, requesting me then 
to exchange seats with him, that he might the better distinguish the fine print of the volume, he took my armchair at the window and, opening the book, resumed his discourse very much in the same tone as before. But for your exceeding minuteness, he said, in describing the monster, I might never have had it in my power to demonstrate to you what it was. In the first place, let me read to you a schoolboy account of the genus Sphinx, of the family Crepuscularia, of the order Lepidoptera, of the class of Insecta, or insects. The account runs thus. Four membranous wings covered with little colored scales of metallic appearance. Mouth forming a rolled proboscis produced by an elongation of the jaws upon the sides of which are found the rudiments of mandibles and downy palpi. The inferior wings retained to the superior by a stiff hair. Antennae in the form of an elongated club. Prismatic. Abdomen pointed. The death-headed sphinx has occasioned much terror among the vulgar at times by the melancholy kind of cry which it utters and the insignia of death which it wears upon its corslet. He here closed the book and leaned forward in the chair, placing himself accurately in the position which I had occupied at the moment of beholding the monster. Ah! Here it is, he presently exclaimed. It is reascending the face of the hill, and a very remarkable-looking creature I admit it to be. Still, it is by no means so large or so distant as you imagined it. For the fact is that, as it wriggles its way up this thread, which some spider has wrought along the window-sash, I find it to be about the sixteenth of an inch in its extreme length, and also about the sixteenth of an inch distant from the pupil of my eye.